Oh. The fan. I know I'm gonna get pimped. They gonna pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it was all about the whole. I did old uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me, Sohonia. I did have an accident with a menorah once. Here we go. On Twitter at twelve seventy, the fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at two seventy twelve seventy. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. I am having a hell of a time trying to get this tweet out. I'm just trying to tell people what's happening on the show today. Like and three uh, virgins floating around. Anyways, I'll just tell you what's going to happen on the show today. Maybe I'll get Matthew Fairburn talking a little bit, and then I can figure out how to tweet out what's happening on the show. Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic is sitting to my left. Around the way is Jonah Bronstein, who just walked in the door and isn't even remotely close to having the periscope set up, but that's okay. Bobby Rosati was here and ready to go. I don't know what the problem is for Jonah. We were all here. We had we didn't have trouble getting in today. Yeah, where were you last week, Tim? Mm, I had the I had the flu. Mm. What about the week before? I was uh, I was on assignment in uh, Arlington, Texas. Hmm. Likely story. I called it. Well, I guess you didn't know. I did. I was called in on the show. I could have been anywhere, really. You didn't know. I could have faked it. We're live on Periscope. Are we? We're live now? Turn the radio off and go check out the internet (laughs) feed. All right, so we have on today's show uh, Jim Sadlin, Syracuse basketball analyst, former St. Bonaventure head coach, former St. Bonaventure star on the undefeated team that went to the NCAA tournament, won in the first round in 1968, exited in the Sweet 16. Their first loss was uh, in the Sweet 16 game, and then that was the precursor to two years later when St. Bonaventure made its magical run to the Final Four in uh, 1970. I wrote about that story last week, and uh, Jim Sadlin uh, uh, was so kind to help me out with that story. And then he's also uh, the Syracuse basketball analyst, as I said. This is the uh, Syracuse station in Buffalo. You hear Jim Sadlin's voice uh, anytime the Orange play. And uh, so he's going to come on, talk college hoops in general, uh, the 50th anniversary weekend down at St. Bonaventure that he took part in, and um, and what's going on in college basketball in general around the country. Uh, we're also going to have uh, Joel Staniszewski on, as usual, uh, to help us preview the Bills at Steelers matchup on Sunday night, a big game, and... Uh, because it is such a big game, we're going to have Mark Caboli on. He's the Steelers reporter for The Athletic. He's uh, covered the Steelers for a long time, and we are going to uh, get his thoughts on the Steelers. They have, uh, well, big roster doings uh, with the Steelers. Granted, uh, they've been a pretty solid team all year, but they're going to be getting uh, James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster back for this game against the Bills, so... The Bills have a little bit more of their hands full than they normally would. But um, 
you are down there at uh, One Bills Drive today, Matt. What are what are the Bills thinking as they ponder what happened against the Ravens and channeling whatever they can into this game against the Steelers because a win and they're in the playoffs. Yeah, they're they did a pretty good job of flushing that that game against the Ravens. I don't think ten that, times, fifteen times. Yeah, it was at least you know there was no stench of that of that loss left over today. I didn't get the sense after the game either that they were all that broken up about it or all that no. you know defeated by it. And that was the theme of my column because that was my sense. I walked in there and uh, into the locker room and and I agreed with it too. I even said so on the uh, Channel 4 pregame show that I'm on. I said if they lose this game, it's nothing to lose sleep over. And if you're a Bills fan, don't get too busted up about it unless they get blown out, which they did not. They they played very well defensively. I think maybe some concern offensively to see Josh Allen regress uh, after how well he'd played three consecutive games and then to see him panic a bit. Um, anyways, I, I agree. I, I And that was the sense. Like, all right, guys, it's it was the Ravens. We lost to the Ravens. We got our eyes on the bigger picture here. It's a little bit of a loser attitude. Again. I don't think so. It is. If you're really that good of a team and you think you could have won that game, then you're upset that you squandered the opportunity to beat that team at home and possibly win the division, get a bye. If you're happy that you only lost by a touchdown, then that kind of says, even if it's subconscious, that you thought you should have lost the game. But there's a fine line. I think it's dangerous to put too much into one regular season game because in that's what I think you're seeing down in Dallas. These games are it's unacceptable to lose. If it gets becomes unacceptable to lose, then you're you know we also see uh happens in college football sometimes too where you have this is your Super Bowl. It's a regular it's a rivalry game and you're you're gearing up for your Super Bowl whether it's you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of rivalry week, and then the the team that then came back in the championship game and it didn't do as well. But it's not coming to mind. But well, even this year, I what do, Minnesota beat Penn State, and didn't they come out a week later and lose? Right. Yeah. There's. You know, I think so. there is a sense of if they would have put so much into this game and lost, then that's demoralizing, and it's like, well, hell, maybe we just aren't as that good anymore. And I think there's a psychology to getting rid of this game and saying, all right, no big deal, let's move on to the next one. But I get what you're saying, Jonah, and I think that. But it, yeah, it's, da- and I'm not it's really dangerous saying either. It specific to this team in that game, but in general, it's kind of a, a lose. Maybe not a loser attitude, but a we're not ready to win this game attitude. If you're happy that or, or proud of yourself that that you were that close, yeah, I think it, I agree. I'm, I think I'm somewhere in the middle because I, I see what Jonah's saying. Where you know, for especially those on the outside to sit there and, you know, brag about a a close loss or, you know, they hung close. That to me is pretty lame. You know, like you said, it's a little bit of a loser's mentality, but in the locker room, there needs to be some level of moving on. And if it really is week by week and one week at a time, then this game is as important as the Ravens game. But to Jonah's point, that was a huge opportunity wasted based on how the defense played. And if they had won that game, they'd already be in the playoffs and they would still have a shot at the number one seed in the conference. And, you know, maybe they're not ready for that, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to expect that and to change 
sort of the attitude. But I still think team psychology-wise, the healthiest thing to do is just to say, you know what, you're not going to win every single week. And and we hear that all the time of, well, we're not going to win every single week. There are some teams that do expect to win every week. And, uh, you know, you get a different – I got a different feel in the Ravens locker room than I've felt in any post-game Bills locker rooms. And there was a a confidence and a a swagger there of, you know, when something is expected versus – Bills in Dallas. The Bills are still trying to grow into that role. Right. This is a team that's been to the playoffs once in the last 20 years, and they're still building into I think a lot of people would be would have taken exactly where they are right now at the start of the season. What was it, six and a half wins or whatever the Vegas over-under yeah. was for, for the Bills? Mm-hmm. So I, they're still growing into that role. You need to have some sort of success, particularly in the playoffs, I think, before you get that swagger that uh that bulletproof feeling or the expectation of every game is we should win every game so that's where i think that with a young team that is still on the come like this is that you can get into a dangerous position of putting too much emphasis on any given game and in the grand scheme of things this is just one game and you know i I hate to get too hyperbolic about it but one game and i made it a point not to put it in my story so maybe i shouldn't bring it up here either but it remind there's a there's a a similarity well hell all right i'm just two, do it 2007 the new york giants played the new england patriots very well towards the end of the season yeah. and it, they didn't win that game but they end up going to the playoffs, and that was a game that they used as, you know what, we belong on the field with these guys, and we didn't win that game, but they still channeled what they learned. Now, I'm, I'm hesitant to bring that up because I'm not saying the Bills are going to the Super Bowl, but these are the types of games that along the way, the, the regular season is a journey to the postseason, and then, of course, you get to the postseason is when you want everything coming together. So my belief was this kind of reminded me perhaps of what the Giants did at the end of the 2007 regular season in terms of we're learning about ourselves here still. Mm -hmm. And they weren't considered that great of a team. Eli Manning was not, as we see the Eli Manning farewell tour going on now, and we're still wondering, was Eli Manning really that good? Well, this was his fourth year too. Yeah. This was Eli Manning before he'd been a Super Bowl MVP even. So you'd had, Things going on with the Giants there, Tom. I think they barely got into the playoffs that year. They were think, a wild card, nine and seven. They? Nine yeah. And seven? Yeah. So both time. Yeah, I, I think there are ways that teams can use a loss and as a as a building block, and that's what it struck me Sunday with the Bills and the Ravens. We have, we have a caller. What do we got? Bobby? Sure, do Frank in Williamsville. What's up, Frank? Hey, I think they got to look at this and say, hey, we we lost. Okay, we were so close to winning. I, I, they need to realize how tenuous these drives are. How like. Um, um, how do they have like four drops in that game? And that, uh, uh, when uh, the Ravens had, had that ball third and ten, uh, Alexander knocks the ball with like his little pinky finger, knocks it, deflects the ball away from the guy, stops the third and ten. I mean, these drives they, they, they hinge on such you know um, small things that, that they could just uh, um, fix a few things. Like I don't think they gave, I don't think that the coach gave uh, Allen enough help. As far as I, sure he looked panicky out there, but I think the only one series that they ran the ball to. Uh, Singletary more than one time in a row. I mean, every, t- every other time they, they give him the ball once, they, then they go to the passing game. They finally start running the ball, and we give him the ball a few times in a row, and they, they went right down the field practically. But just to show how close they were in it, to winning that game, I don't know if they're going into the game that they didn't actually think they could win it or not, and they found themselves in, holy crap, 
here we are and we can win this game. But it's fourth down, and and, and they still got a shot to throw a ball in the end zone and make a tie, tie the game. I mean, if I if I if I'm coming out of that game, I'm thinking we should have won that game. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, the next time we, we play those guys, I can't wait to play them again because, you know, we're, we're going to win them. And this, they, they just need to understand that these drives are so, I don't know if the word is tenuous, they're so, they're so just like the, the smallest mistake they're blows precious. these drives up, you know? They're precious. Yeah, they're, Every... they're precious. And you can't, you can't blow up your three and outs are killers, especially when it's a penalty or Josh just throws the ball too far. Or I, I still think the coaches need to baby him a little bit, and especially when he gets. Did he have any plays at all where he ran the ball? It was just a design run for him. I don't think there were any. I think there was one in the second half. He ran one time for two yards in the first half, and he ended up running twice. Right. I'm trying to think. Was that a play that broke down when he ran I in the second it broke half? Down. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. okay, forget about. It. So not a design got, run. I don't care if they got a spy on the guy. Let him run. He's six foot five, two fifty. So he, you know, he he, does, he can run by these guys. But they didn't do that, right? And they did these plays to the, to the sideline. They kept doing a quick throws to the sideline, but I didn't see many throws over the middle. Um, you know, I, but what can you see? The, 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 the tight end dropped the ball. Beasley dropped the ball. But Brown dropped the ball. You can't have those drops, you know, in a big game like that. And I'm not leaving an out for Sean McDermott, for Leslie Frazier, um, for uh, uh, Brian Dable. But I wonder... And was this brought up at all on Monday or Wednesday, uh, Matt, of is it all like maybe a preseason mentality of we might face these guys again, let's not empty out the playbook here? I heard some people mention that, uh, you know, none of them were asked about it. And to me, I, I feel like that's a little bit of a stretch. Right. Like, I, Kind of like what you're talking about. I do Are too. The bills and if there you do, yet? yeah, and if you do ask that question, then of course you say like, well, yeah, I would, I would, if, especially if I had just lost the game and I'm a coach, I'd be like, well, well, of course that's what we were doing. But I don't even know if they would lean on that. And I, you could probably say the same thing about the Ravens. Probably more so it would be, hey, let's not show them everything true. because think our about, tickets are already punched. Think about this though, real quick. Two two plays, right? The the, uh, the down and into the tight end with the, on the blown coverage. Okay, if that play doesn't happen, it's a totally different game. Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention was going to that game was the talk. The talk was all about Lamar Jackson. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? He's on, he's MVP of the league, right? He, he showed all the highlights against San Francisco, and, and, and how unbelievable. We, the Bills shut that guy down. They shut him down. Their, their defense, the, the Bills defense, is, is on the verge of epic. I mean, they just they suffocate people. I don't think there's any appreciation. The Bills' defense didn't get enough props. There's concern about Allen in the offense, but, man, the defense was unbelievable. The Bills' defense did make them the most volatile. Volatile is not the right word because that indicates that it could be bad, too. But the most dangerous, I keep using that word over and over again, the most dangerous offense in the NFL, the Bills made them punt seven times. And they got no help from the offense. Josh fumbled, and um, there were a bunch of three and outs. It's just it, that defense played incredibly. I, I, you know, I just and they shut down Jackson. The guy, the guy that everybody was talking about is that you know the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and so I'm I, I'm hoping they're going to roll Pittsburgh. I think they should, I, and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, I had to just call in. And, and, and no, glad that. you did, Frank. Always love hearing from you. I hope you're feeling better, man. Thank you. See, right. Jonah. Take it easy, buddy. Thanks, Frank. See, Jonah comes in, give me the business for being out sick last week. Frank is sympathetic. He well, cares about me. I'm going to dispute two of Frank's points, and I, that was a very good call. I like when Frank calls in, and I'm going to dispute the fact that you were really sick last week as well. Ah. But <laughs> um, the Bills didn't shut down Lamar Jackson. They held him. He didn't run wild on them like he has against other teams, but 
he threw three touchdown passes. He had a passer rating over 100. He did exactly what was needed to do to win the game. The Bills never led in the game. I don't even know if they were ever tied in the game. Maybe early, but I don't think they were. Kickoff. They only the, the notion that the Bills were so close to winning that game, I don't agree with. I think they were very close after three straight 15-yard personal foul penalties to kind of almost tying the game. I, I think they tie that game. There's no guarantee that they win that game. The you can really be impressed with the way the Bills' defense, especially the defensive coaching, um, limited Baltimore and kind of made them go deeper in their playbook to figure out ways to move the ball and score. And as you mentioned, uh, you know they punted, I think, twice as much as they had in any other game. But they didn't shut anybody down. They gave up 24 points, which isn't a lot of points, but it's usually not a number where you win the game giving up that many points. And the Ravens seemed like they were comfortably winning that game the entire time. They did allow a 61-yard touchdown pass, too. So, you know, it's a total breakdown on that play. Yeah. And it was a solid, very solid defensive effort. And there's no question the defense played well enough to win the game. But I I agree with you that it wasn't domination. They didn't solve Lamar Jackson. They slowed him down on the ground. He only ran for 40 yards, which is a pretty good number for a quarterback. He also hurt his quad at some point right. in the game. And I think he, he said it was on that long touchdowns. touchdown. You know, down near the red zone, he was still getting it done. And two, one of those touchdowns of touch- was a sixty-one right. yarder. True, and we can and we can flip. We can keep doing the pros and cons of it too. But and that's what adds in so many layers of perspective that make football games so fascinating. Is that you can find, I think, whatever you want. But two of those touchdown drives, one started at Buffalo's twenty-four yard line, and the last one started at Baltimore's forty-nine. So they had to go a total of, what is that, 75 yards for two of their touchdowns. So that one on a punt, uh, a bad Corey Bajorquez punt, and uh, the 24-yard the uh, drive was uh, Josh Allen fumble. So the defense had his back against the wall a couple of times, and of course you're going you're gonna to get hurt in those situations. But I thought that the defense played very well. Red zone play, defense and offense, was really the difference in the game. Baltimore had three touchdowns. One was a long one. Baltimore had three touchdowns and one field goal. The Bills had three field goals and one touchdown and didn't score when they got – they were in the red zone on that last drive, right, Matt? Yes. Yes, just barely. Well, what they were doing is they went into that game. They said, we're not going to tip our hand to the Ravens and we're going to get Steven Hauschka back on track. And we're going (laughs) to – if we lose the game, that's fine. We need our kicker. That's right. We need to get our kicker on track. That was prime objective, and the Bills were happy with that. The big theme is that the offense didn't. I'm put joking the on that. Into... I guess sometimes uh, dry sarcasm doesn't. <laughs> That's funny. Doesn't translate. Thanks, Eric. Doesn't translate over the radio, but. But if that was the the goal, then flawless execution. Right. Absolutely on top of it. Because Stephen Hauschka was Hausch money. Lull the Baltimore Ravens into false sense of security for when they play each other in the postseason at Baltimore. No, you don't think so? I don't either. All right, when we come back, we're going to have Jim Sadlin, Syracuse Orange analyst and uh, former St. Bonaventure head coach and co-captain. He played for the Bonnies uh, on one of their NCAA tournament teams. We're going to talk about the 100th anniversary of Bonaventure basketball. Uh, which is something that they're celebrating all year uh, down there uh, on campus. And I always want to say Olean. It's not even that. It's Allegheny. And it's not even that because St. Bonaventure is its own little municipality yeah, that's like, recognized by the census. And but everybody else says Olean. Like NU. Yeah, even the players, when I was interviewing them, they kept saying when 
who got back to Olean. Why is that? Shouldn't they say Allegheny? I guess technically, but it's right off that. You know, Olean. that's the the town. Exit twenty five. It's like, yeah. should they be the Orchard Park Bills? Yeah, Niagara Falls Bills when they move there. That has nothing to do with or the Amherst. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I'm just talking about yeah. When we talk about UB, <laughs> the game's in Amherst. We say it in Amherst. We say it correctly. Whereas we'd say people say Olean, and the campus isn't even in Olean. It's in Allegheny, A, and then St. Bonaventure is still its own place. It, the dateline that the Associated Press uses for St. Bonaventure is St. Bonaventure, New York. How about all that? That's kind of stupid. It's its own, <laughs> it has its own post office, and it's a it's its own town, recognized by the U.S. Census. I'm gonna have to talk to the AP about that. All right. <laughs> When we come back, we'll have Jim Sadlin to talk college hoops here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Blows they were working on wet ball drills. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Well, what's the uh, the time period for when you can watch that on? Now on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Tune in radio. SportsRadio1270.com. And on the Fan's app. Your wife will never know. It's good uh, Jim Sadlin's wondering uh, as he's getting ready to come in and talk <laughs> what, what the hell we're getting into on this radio station. But this radio station is the official Syracuse uh, radio station uh, in Buffalo. Sports Radio 1270, the fan. Uh, and we are joined by Jim Sadlin, analyst uh, for the Syracuse men's basketball team, former St. Bonaventure head coach, former Duquesne head coach, and he's a two-time Atlantic 10 coach of the year. I didn't realize that until I was just poking around a little bit uh, earlier today. Jim, uh, you... Uh, Probably should have been three or four times, but we'll let it go at two. Yeah. Okay. Well, what you know yeah. how it is with yeah. Coach of the Year awards. Once you win it, they kind of like to spread that around a little bit. They didn't want you to get yeah. too greedy. I understand that. Okay. Yeah. So Jim Sadlin but, played for St. Bonaventure. He was on the 1968 team that went undefeated into the NCAA tournament and uh, before they got eliminated in the Sweet 16. Played a pivotal role in establishing that program during those Bob Lanier years uh, in which uh, two years later they then go to the Final Four in 1970 and the heartbreak of that and uh, you were down there uh, on campus over the weekend uh, to celebrate 100 years of St. Bonaventure basketball and the 50th anniversary of that Final Four team. Jim, what was what was it like down there? Uh, it was spectacular, Tim. It was, uh, there was a buzz on campus from as soon as we got there Friday night and uh, all the way through. And, you know, it was just, I think, a, a feeling of, you know, it's hard to believe this is 50 years that this Final Four team, you know, in 1970, um, you know, played and participated in there. But, in, in a, of course, it wasn't around for quite all the 100 years of, of the uh, Bonaventure thing, but a lot of them. And, uh but it was just a, it was a great weekend. It was great to see everybody, and uh, and the team played exceptionally well in the afternoon. Had a big win against Hofstra, and uh, so everything couldn't have been couldn't have worked out better for everybody. It was absolutely terrific. And they were, they were all talking about Tim Graham. All talking about this <laughs> article wrote athletic. They were, and it was a very positive response. And still, most of them, anyways, you know, 
Right. But they were no, it was, it was terrific. They uh, everybody uh, was happy to be back, and all the players were there. One of one of our former players had passed away, but everybody else was there, and it was a uh, a wonderful homecoming. It really was. It is amazing longevity on those teams. All three coaches are still around, and yep. 11 of the 12 players on the Final Four team are still around. Everybody's in relatively good health. I, I was uh, dismayed to hear uh, just uh, the night before that story ran, Bob Lanier had called me for a follow-up interview and had mentioned to me that he had bladder cancer, which is something that I hadn't uh, seen him speak mm-hmm. about before. But uh, he's... Uh, that and all the knee surgeries, he's he's moving around a little slowly, but he made the trip. He did, and uh, you know he was a little tired, and uh, you know I I think that it's a uh, I think he's getting good reports and everything, but he's frail. When you watch him now, it's hard to believe that that's the Bob Lanier that you know we saw before the 260 pounder. But he's gone through a whole lot of stuff. He had that bariatric surgery, maybe six or seven, eight years ago, lost 100-something pounds. And, uh, you know, so he's, he liked all of us. You know, we're all getting a little bit up there in age. And, uh, but I'm hoping that he's going to be, he's going to be, uh, make a big comeback. And I think, I think the cancer thing is, is okay. I think he's doing well with that. And uh, we just got to get him to, to, to start eating again and get back on it and uh, doing those things. But he was thrilled to be back, too, when everybody was, of course, thrilled to see him there. We're in conversation with Jim Saddle and former Bonaventure captain, former Bonaventure head coach, uh, led the 1977 Bonnie's team to the NIT championship when that meant something. And uh, he's joining us here on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Jim, let's uh, let's stay on Bob Lanier for a second because uh, when I was at the Buffalo News just a few years ago, and I can't remember what the... I can't remember what the impetus was, but we decided to take a look back at the greatest Buffalo athletes in, uh, of all time. And we're talking about Jimmy Slattery, the boxer, and Warren Spahn. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say that Patrick Kane came in at number one. And I think that's because it's recent, and he's currently a star in the NHL. But you've been around basketball for a long time, and you've stayed involved in it. It's not just a passing interest for you. Can you explain to people who never saw, let's say you're 30 years old, and you don't know who Bob Lanier is beyond that when you look at his stats and see that he was in the, he's in the Naismith uh, Hall of Fame, uh, that he was a good player. How, how would you explain how good Bob Lanier was? Well, you, you know, I'm certainly he was the greatest player that I ever had the good fortune to play with, but one of the greatest players that I ever saw and one of the most unselfish players that I've ever seen. Um, you know, he had a, probably the best shooting big man that's ever played, honestly, and I don't think I'm just biased about that. I mean, he every year he would shoot 55 to 60% from the field and the pros, and, and those a lot of times those numbers are misleading because a lot of guys go in and dunk all the time and do all that. Bob was a jump shooter, a hook shot and a jump shooter, and uh, so his numbers were were real, and uh, but he was he was um, one of these guys that understood the game. He was a great passer. Uh, he he always looked for his teammates all the time. And just a quick story: he had 50 points in the Holiday Festival senior year in, in New York City, and it was a huge game. Bonnie's were playing Purdue. Purdue had an All-American named Rick Mount who was there for years, and um, Bob had 50, he tied the all-time record with two minutes to go in the game. He tied Oscar Robertson and Jimmy Walker, two great players in the 50. 
And we were up handily in the game at that point, and, and they kept feeding Bob the ball, Billy Cowball specifically kept feeding him the ball to break this record. Bob just kept kicking it back out, just kicking it out. And he said afterwards, well, I didn't have a good shot. And that was not the truth. I think he just was very happy to be able to share that with somebody else. Didn't, didn't feel as though it was his place to, to come in and break the great Oscar Robertson's record that had been held for you know a, a long time. So I think that's the kind of player he was. Um, but he was just, a, he had skills upon skills. And, you know, he was a perennial all-star in the NBA, uh, scored, you know, over 20,000 points and rebounds and in the Hall of Fame, as you said. And uh, he just, just was a, a spectacular, spectacular player. Jim, what did you think about the current Bonnie's team? They won four in a row, a big win over Hofstra. They, they have a good big guy themselves. You know, what was your analysis of watching them play? You know, I had not seen them in person. Uh, I'd seen them on TV a couple of times, and they lost some games when the big kid was hurt. Uh, he missed, you know, three or four of those games where they lost. Uh, he came in in the game the other night. Now, Hofstra had won at UCLA by 10 points earlier in the season. They're averaging 80-something points a game, and, and they started this game out 12-2. to two. They were ahead of bodies, and all of a sudden, Mark Schmidt puts in the big kid. He, he did not start. Puts him in. They go on a 20 Three to one run, I think it was, and then the game was essentially over at that point. But he's he's really a good player. I mean, he's a sophomore. He, he, you know, he's still learning from an offensive standpoint, but he's a legitimate shot blocker, legitimate rebounder. I think he had 16 in that game, um, and he changes the whole you know tenor when he walks in the game for Bonaventure. He comes in the game, and uh, I like them. I think they're good. They've got good young players. The kid from Buffalo Dominic Welch is now starting to shoot the ball the way everybody thought he would. Um, they put together a nice run here. They'll probably they got a couple games this week against Gannon, and then they play Niagara on Saturday. And uh, you know, so I, I think they've got a chance to put some wins together here. And uh, I was very impressed with the way they played. I think they were under a great deal of pressure in this game. Quite frankly, they had Lanier and all these other guys, you know, kind of watching this game and seeing what they were going to do and everything. And, and, you know, for young kids, that's not easy to do to perform at that level. So I, I think they're going to be a factor in the Atlantic 10, definitely. And Mark Schmidt's a great coach. He's been a great coach since he's been there, and he brought them out of their their really darkest times. And uh, so, I mean, they've got great leadership in him, and, they, and he does a terrific job recruiting. So I expect them to be a very good team as this season goes on. Jim, I don't want to... Uh... I don't mean to change the subject to something a little more depressing, but uh, we can't talk happy thoughts about Bonaventure the entire time here. Uh, let's ask you about Syracuse. Uh, five and four uh, with losses to Virginia, Penn State, Iowa. I mean, these are not easy teams. Uh, I guess you can't look at those and say, well, they should have just plowed right through those guys. This is a tough schedule that they've had here before the conference. Um, having a little trouble shooting the three. But uh, where do you think Syracuse stands as we, as we head into the holidays? Well, you know, it's interesting. I missed the game on Saturday that they had down at, at uh, Georgia Tech, and that was by far their best game of the year. Um, they, as you said, they really struggled against the, the Power Five conference teams and, and um, you know, kind of beaten handily, quite frankly, by Penn State and Oklahoma State and Iowa and Virginia. They really weren't you know, in those games in the second half. And uh, so for them to come down and beat Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech, who, who was like 4-2 and two and 
you know, Georgia Tech had won at North Carolina State. They had played Georgia to a two-point game. So, you know, you know it was going to be a, 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 a tough game down there. And they win by 35 or whatever it was. And they just came out and made every shot. And I saw the film afterwards, and Elijah Hughes, who was, who was a legitimate player, he really is, he's a, he's a big-time player. But he's seeing everybody's best from a defensive standpoint. Um, so he's not getting easy shots. And, and, you know, this game he comes out and he makes his first four threes right off the bat and just kind of, you know, they're up 20 at halftime. Buddy Bayheim comes in and has a big second half. He's been shooting the ball very poorly overall, and he came in and, and shot it exceptionally well from the three-point line. But this is a team, quite frankly, that's going to live and die by the three-point shot. They don't have much inside. They don't really look inside. Um, they're still a good defensive team, I think. Uh, but from an offensive standpoint, they better be shooting the three ball because if, if they're not making that, they're going to have a tough time staying in a lot of games. Uh, the good thing is for them, too, is that I think the ACC is a little down this year. Um, you know, you saw it last night. Louisville was the number one team in the country. They got beat by Texas Tech, who's, you know, I know it was great last year, but they've only been so-so this year. Um, you know, and North Carolina is definitely down from what they've been. And how about this stat? This is crazy. And you probably know this, but they've played nine games, and they haven't hit 70 points yet. This is nuts. North Carolina averages every year 85 86, 87 points a game. They haven't got, and they've had two in a row where they've shot, or they've scored in the 40s. And that hadn't happened since 1948 or 49 or something. So I think Syracuse can benefit from that. I think these teams, Virginia's good, but they're not as good as they were, obviously, last year. And uh, so I, I think if Syracuse can get their feet on the ground later a little bit, um, big game for them Saturday against Georgetown at Georgetown. Georgetown's playing well. They just went down and beat Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State um, by seven. They, they, SMU was undefeated. They beat them Saturday at SMU. So I, that's going to be a hard game for Syracuse. They'll guard Syracuse better than Georgia Tech did. But if they, Syracuse could ever win that, then, then they're really on the road because they got three or four games in a row at home then that, that aren't Power 5 teams that they'll probably win. So they, they might be able to get going from there. But uh, – uh, they got to shoot the three ball. That's what they're going to live and die on all year long. You know, a lot of those threes that Syracuse made against Georgia Tech came off passes from Howard Washington, a Buffalonian. He had a yeah. career high eight assists. Do you haven't watched the film of that game? Do you anticipate him getting a bigger role? He hasn't played a whole lot coming into that game. You know, it's funny because I think I love Howard Washington. He's a great kid. Number one, what he's gone through. It's hard to believe, you know, for a young kid like him with the stroke and with the heart situation, his blues knee out. But he's been the most positive guy that I've ever seen at Syracuse. And I, I truly mean this. I said to him last year, we were on a trip someplace, I can't remember. I had introduced myself to him before and told him, you know, that I was a Bonaventure coach and I knew of him and everything from Bonnie. And, and, and I just kept saying, I said to him on the road, and he, he, last year, you know, they, they finally. You know, he wasn't playing at all. And then they finally, he finally got redshirted and, and came down. But he's like a coach on the floor for practice. He's unbelievable. He runs with the scout team all the time, and he's telling everybody what to do in a good way. And he's always constantly um, helping out his teammates and doing all those kind of things. And I said to him, I said, you know, Howard, I don't know what you're going to do here. I don't know how much you'll play at Syracuse in the next couple of years. But I tell you one thing, you will be a great coach if you decide to go in that direction. 
I'm not saying you should because it's a hard job, but if you decide to do that, you will be a great coach. And I know Mike Hopkins, a former assistant here that's out at Washington, thought so highly of him. And you talk to the assistant coaches now, they say the same thing, that, that he's got a, a sense and, and a feel for the game. But I think it, I was surprised, honestly, that he came in and played as much as he did there. How um, uh, Bryson Good, Goodine has been the, the third guard. And Howard has come in as a four spot. But he played pretty well in one of the games. Maybe it was the Penn State game or one of the games down in Brooklyn. And um, so Jim Bayam obviously decided between that last Penn State game, or I'm sorry, the Iowa game and uh, Georgia Tech, that he was going to give Howard a shot. And obviously he went in there and eight, eight assists and one turnover. You know, they don't, they don't need him to score a lot of points. They need him to get the ball in the right hands. Uh, for those people. He's a good defensive player. and So I anticipate he'll be the third guard, certainly, from now on out, unless something else happens, and I couldn't be happier for him. Well, Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to hear uh, how things went down, and uh, settle this for us. Is it Olean? I mean, where where is that? I mean, I know that the campus is, it, St. Bonaventure has its own zip code. It's considered its own little hamlet. Uh, but it's really then that Hamlet is in Allegheny, but everybody says Olean. So I know, when you I say know. you're you going down to campus, where, what reference do you make? I, you know, I probably say Olean too. And even though I lived in Allegheny for all the time that I was there as a coach and everything, but uh, I guess because Olean's a bigger town and people would hear more about that than they would Allegheny from there. But uh, people in Olean and Allegheny really support Bonnie's well and. Uh, so we're really we're really happy, you know, to have them there. But uh, I appreciate getting a chance to talk to you guys today, and feel free to call anytime and talk about the Qs. And uh, hopefully they're in in the right direction now and uh, going to start playing a little bit better. Yeah, I, I anticipate they will do that. Well, thanks so much for giving us your insights on that, Jim. Okay, and a great day, guys. Hey, by the way, too, before you go, by the way, one thing. Yeah. I want to tell you. I have to tell you this. I'm a Steeler fan, a big time Steeler fan. Okay. Well, I know, I know, I know, I know. Any kind of prediction or anything about Sunday? Yes, I do. My prediction is bet the under. Okay. Whatever you do. You're not going to pick a team, though? You're not going to pick a side? There'll be be no points scored in this game. Both teams are great defensive teams. So I'm looking at like a 14-10 type game. So whatever that is from there. But um, no prediction for me. I think it'll be a good game. I think Buffalo's much better than anybody expected them to be. Pittsburgh's much better than anybody expected them to be with the injuries they've had. And, uh, and it's a huge game from a, from a wild card standpoint, especially for, for Pittsburgh. You know, if they win that, they're tied with Buffalo, and you know, they have legs up on the, on the wild card. So it's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. But I, 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 I must have to tell you that I am a Steeler fan. So. Bonus football analysis from Jim Sadlin. <laughs> enjoy for sure. the, enjoy sure. the weekend. Enjoy Georgetown. You, enjoy Washington D.C. And then enjoy the game Sunday night. I will try to do that. Thanks very much, guys. All right, Talk that that was Jim Saddle on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back. We're going to warm up the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline again with Mark Caboli of The Athletic to talk about the Steelers and uh, what we can expect Sunday night uh, from the home team when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo, Travis, Bisa, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.
Tim Graham Show. So that's trash, young lady. No, you can't. Hey, stop that, young lady! Tim Graham Show on Twitter at 1270 The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bisaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. We're going to jump right back into the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline for Mark Caboli. He covers the Steelers for The Athletic, and he will be giving you all of your Steelers coverage that you can handle without choking on it. No, you know what? You probably so much you will choke on it. Mark Caboli joining us here. Good to have you, Mark. How are you? Uh, what are you thinking about the big Sunday night tilt? Well, I think the first one to ten might win the game. That's how it's looking like around here, knowing that the Steelers' defense has been pretty solid the entire year, and their offense is just absolutely horrible. And uh, Buffalo will be by far the best defense they've faced, at least in the in the Duck Hodges era. So. I know their defensive coordinator says get us to 17 points and we can win. They might have to dial that down a bit this week. The first one to 10 might win this one. What do you think of Duck Hodges, Mark? Because we've kind of caught – you catch wind of him. If you're not really following the Steelers closely, he's a highlight uh, that they like because of the name and everything. And uh, But it seems to me is that maybe he's being uh, – a little romanticized just because it's a neat story more than he is a, a legitimate starting quarterback. But where does he where does he fall on the talent scale? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why nobody else wanted him. I mean, if you know the story, he wasn't even uh, picked up by anybody as an undrafted free agent. He had to come in here in May for a tryout just to be the fourth camp arm. And, it, and, and even to that, even though he did show some signs in training camp of, you know, being a decent quarterback uh, they still cut him as the season opened and waited till week two to bring him back so i mean he has his limitations he has a lot of limitations however he's been able to stick to a plan that has been put in place by the coaching staff ever since uh, you know probably a, a month now and they're taking advantage of this good defense as you know dominating defense in the top of the league and mostly every decent category that you want to be and they're not and you might have heard the quote a couple of weeks ago from Mike Tomlin you know he's not killing us what he's able to do is stick to the plan run the ball let the defense help him out and make a player two here though there whether it's a 30-yard throw down the field to James Washington but he's not going to kill them that's what he hasn't been able to do yet the question is what happens if they play from behind then he you have to rely on him to put you down the field and be able to score, that's where you the talent might be lacking and the experience definitely lacking. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, he's a backup quarterback with a good story, but he's been playing pretty decent here to get him two, you know, eight, seven out of the last eight straight wins. He is 4-0 this year, 3-0 as a starter, 4-0 as a quarterback. So he's a good story, but he's not going to uh, – you're not going to – Think he's Ben Roethlisberger anytime soon, or, that way. or Bubby Brister. 
<laughs> Maybe Bubby Brewster, although Bubby would talk a little bit, uh, would be a little bit more open with what he said. <laughs> if you know Bubby Brewster back in the day, uh, he wasn't uh, really. Uh, and, and to be fair about that is that does remind you of the last time this team was in a situation like this in 1989, and Bubby Brewster did lead them to, you know, a play away from the AFC Championship game. But uh, I would say Duck might be a little bit better than Bubby. One and four start to the season for the Steelers, but they're now eight and five, having won three in a row, seven out of their last eight. What, it, with your finger on the pulse type thing, how legitimate or not legitimate? How realistic do they believe the playoffs are for them uh, with Duck Hodges as their quarterback? Well, I think they they are starting to believe more and more as, as these past three weeks have gone on because they played well. Uh, I, I, trust me, they, they know that they have limitations on of offense. I mean, not only is Roethlisberger out, Pouncey was out two weeks with a suspension. James Conner has been out a good portion of the game, of the year. Their running backs. I mean, at one point, their five wide receivers had a total of eighty career catches. So they're doing it with smoke and mirrors on offense. But they feel that this defense is a championship quality caliber defense. So as long as they're able to create the turnovers like they have, they have 33 leads the league. They have mid 40 sacks, and they've been playing unbelievable. As long as they can keep getting that play and getting some decent offense, and Hodge is getting better and better, and it's not you know they're not asking them to do a ton, but just doing a little bit more better. I think the playoffs are definitely realistic and a possibility. Now, can a guy like this? or an offensive deficient team as it is sits right now, get you through a round or two of the playoffs. I don't think anybody believes that right now, but getting you to it and relying on that defense, I think they truly believe this could be something special where in reality, this team probably should be a five win team this year. Knowing that all the injuries, all the people that lost the Antonio Brown, the Le'Veon Bell, the fights, the suspensions and everything, but somehow they've already whittled out way eight wins. So they feel that they can, Definitely have a shot. I mean, right now it's be pretty immaculate if they didn't make the playoffs where they got the Jets coming up and a Baltimore team after Buffalo is not going to have anything really to play for. But uh, once you get in there, it's going to be tough, I think. Mark, when the Steelers traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, the talk was, you know, they're giving up a, a top 10 pick. Well, you know, what are they thinking? Uh, they're not going to be a good team, and, you know, they're they're giving up a huge asset. What was the belief in the building in terms of where that, that draft pick would be and, and what has he brought to the defense to help them take it to another level? He has definitely been the, the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, once he came in here for that week three, everything changed. And he's been he's solidified this entire back end of this defense. And you would be surprised at how much a, you know, a free safety can make a difference. But he's made a difference in every way possible. And then when they acquired him, I mean, you look at it two ways. Half the people in Pittsburgh thought it was crazy because they thought that the Steelers were going to go 2-14. and 14. They were going to pass up Joe Burrow or, or Tua or something like that. So people were just hammering them about that. But they felt that if they can get this defense in order, that was one of their choices. And it made sense at the time because they loved Mika Fitzpatrick coming out of Alabama. And if he wasn't a top-10 pick, they wouldn't have, you know, they would have – tried to go up and get him a couple years ago. But they were going to lose Sean Davis. He just got hurt, their free safety. They're going to lose him free agency anyways. Um, they have control over this guy for four more years at a pretty reasonable salary. 
it just made a whole bunch of sense. What threw everybody off in Pittsburgh was is they never give up first-round picks. You have to go back to 1967, pre-Chuck Knoll, for the last time they didn't have a first-round pick. So that's why everybody was up in arms. But nobody's complaining about it right now because you got a, you know, a Pro Bowl slash All Pro caliber safety out of it is just so smart, so instinctual, and he just makes this defense roll. And it's been since week three. I mean, he's been just an unbelievable find. Got to give the Steelers credit; they went out and you know put their neck on the line a little bit there, and went out and got him, and he's been just absolutely fabulous. The Steelers have racked up. 48 sacks this year on opposing quarterbacks. Uh, Josh Allen coming off a game in which he was blitzed, or at least he felt like he was being blitzed on every play against the Ravens. Uh, what might Bills fans uh, expect to see from the Steelers on Sunday night? I can't. I really don't see much blitz, and they don't really blitz that much anymore. They have faith in their their three or four defensive. They they typically they're a three four front. They're a three man front. But they rarely ever play that anymore. It's mostly all self-package where they have four rushers, two D linemen, and two D two outside linebackers to play almost like a defensive end in the four three. And those two guys are Watton, TJ Watton, Bud Dupree. So not it hasn't been a ton of times where they needed to to blitz. It's been three or four guys, and they've been as you, as you mentioned, they've got there. I mean, forty eight sacks, and forget about that. I mean, TJ Watt leads the league in pressures. He's up near 50, so they just put tons of pressure on the quarterback just with, with individual, beating their individual one-on-one matchups. And Cam Hayward in between providing the push up the middle, another all-pro type caliber player this year, and that helps the back end a lot. So even though the Ravens blitz them like crazy, I can't see that happening. They rely on those front three or four to get there, and, and they're, I mean, they got a combined 22 sacks right now which they've been very, very hard. They play off each other so well. Watts, the speed guy that gets up top and gets around the corner and, and Dupree just plows, plows forward, uses his strength. So that's the key. I mean, they have to pressure. And they even talk about it today, not only pressuring him, but knowing where the arm angle is when they're pressuring him, where he can they can knock the ball out of his hand as well. So that's the key there. They're just going to pressure him with those four and let the secondary do what they've been doing. They've been pretty good, too. Such a luxury when you can do that without blitzing because then you don't yeah. sacrifice a man in coverage. Not that that's a big thing for Josh Allen. He's not experienced enough and just doesn't quite have the awareness yet to take advantage of a defense when they blitz and to find that uncovered guy or lightly covered guy, inappropriately covered guy. Uh, and so you can afford to blitz uh, against Josh Allen and not have it hurt you. But if you can get pressure and then still have an extra guy back there, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how Josh Allen handles that. Yeah, they, you know what? One thing where the Steelers are a little struggling at with uh, their slot corner, Mike Hilton's unbelievable at, at blitzing off the corner, run defense, even though he's a really tiny guy. He's like 5'7". The coverage can come and bite him at times, and uh, that's where the Steelers could be exposed a little bit. And uh, they could be making a move this week and maybe throwing the bigger slot corner of Cam Sutton in there. He's more like 6-1, maybe to help out on uh, Beasley a little bit in that slot. So that's one little area where you have to watch where Buffalo will probably have a definite advantage over the Steelers offensively compared to their defense. Mark Caboli, thanks for uh, joining us and uh, giving us your thoughts on what 
is a big game for both teams. And uh, the Bills win, and they're in the playoffs. They finally clinch, something that they'll probably do over these remaining three games. But the Steelers, uh, is, do they just have to keep winning, obviously, at 8-5? and five? Where is, Well, now we're, now we're getting well, to – did they have to win this game? Not necessarily. They, they want to win this game because that would have a very good shot of them now being the five seed in the wild card that could stay away from a team like Kansas City instead of going to maybe Houston or Indianapolis. So they, they want to win it, but they got the Jets coming up. They probably have to win two of their last three games to score themselves. And this one would be nice. They play well at home. They play well at night. They play well on prime time. So, I mean, plus one last thing real quick. We're talking about pressure. Uh, I think out of their 48 sacks, I think about 36 or 37 off the top of my head have come at Hinesfield. So it's a different type of uh, defense they play at Hinesfield. So Fascinating. Well, thanks so much, Mark. We'll see you down there on Sunday. All righty. We'll see you guys. Thanks. That was Mark Caboli of The Athletic on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Uh, when we come back, more Bills at Steelers analysis from – us we we called in help there we needed help well mark caboli knows what he's doing a couple things that that made me raise my eyebrows well we'll get into that and we're going to hear from joel staniszewski he's going to be on the line from vegas to tell us what he thinks of this matchup from a betting standpoint joel's been dropping some not nuggets that aren't just for gambling purposes like just good He's been on the money. He has been on fire this year. He did well on Thanksgiving. He had a good turkey day. We're going to get into all that right after this on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo, Travis Bisaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. The fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. It's been a busy day on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline with Mark Caboli of The Athletic, Jim Sadlin. I, I always hesitate when I try to identify Jim Sadlin because just to say he's Syracuse basketball analyst, he's he was a really good college basketball head coach at St. Bonaventure, was a really good college player at St. Bonaventure, and a head coach at Duquesne also, two-time Atlantic 10 Coach of the Year. Winner of the Jim Sadlin Inspiration Award. <laughs> I thought that was funny. He was the, yeah. Do you think Jim Sadlin could win? Is it is it a bad look to win your own award, or are you supposed to win your own award? I think it's a funny look, but this was the first 
edition of the award. So they kind of named it after him slash gave it to him all in one swoop. Right. I think that you should have it be something, and then maybe the next year you change the name. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, it, like have him win the whatever inspiration right. award, and then the next year change it to the so that way it doesn't. Yeah, because without like you explaining it, it sounds like there were two of them, and then they they were like, mm, I think Jim's a good good candidate, and they picked him, and then they just went on with it. <laughs> kind of like Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> yeah, like you don't call <laughs> it Lou Gehrig's disease until Lou Gehrig's already dead. Right. Yeah, what did Lou Gehrig have? ALS. He had Joe DiMaggio disease. <laughs> No, he was before Joe DiMaggio. Do you know, and this is not not that we joke around about Lou Gehrig's disease, so of course I wouldn't be joking about it, but Lou Gehrig probably did not have Lou Gehrig's disease, was the belief. Really? That Shocking. It, that it was CTE, and it was from, he was known as the Iron Man, he played through injuries, and many of the injuries that he played through were concussions at a time when you didn't wear helmets, and there was a time when he took a ball to his head, sliding into second. He was stealing, I think, and the catcher hit him in the head with the ball, and he played the next day. And one of the things of concussions is you're supposed to shut it down for a period of time. And he was he would play with these types of injuries. And uh, the belief, and this was a New York Times article maybe four or five years ago, the conclusion was that he probably just had CTE. So how did they end up diagnosing a disease and naming it after him then? Well, because with things like Lou Gehrig's disease, or you don't, you sometimes you don't know until there's an autopsy. So you get okay. he has the symptoms of Lou Gehrig's disease, right. and I think it's similar also to uh, Muhammad Ali had a Parkinson's syndrome. He didn't. He was never diagnosed as having Parkinson's disease. He had a Parkinson's like condition even though it looked like he had yeah it's 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 like that but and it's also probably it was cte and i don't think that uh you know muhammad ali's brain was ever looked at um i don't believe and in the in the muslim faith uh he was you know the uh, I, I don't think that that's something that that would be possible um tom janode by the way now here's a second tangent i'm going off on if you ever get a chance to see espn the magazines uh tom Janode wrote a story on what happened pretty much from the moment Muhammad Ali died until he was buried and all the different things in the Muslim faith that you have to, that your body for purification and all the different clerics that are brought in to handle the transport of the body. He was down in Phoenix flying the body back to Louisville. Uh, one of the best pieces wow. of journalism I've ever read, let alone sports journalism. It's, I guess it's not really sports journalism. It just happens to be about Muhammad Ali, but the reverence that he was treated with because of his religion, but also because of who he was and the impact that even handling his, his body made on the people who were entrusted to do all those things to the funeral home, the hearse driver, uh, driving through the, through Louisville as it was and people were throwing roses all over the hearse. And anyway, great piece of journalism. Um, where do we go from here? Now that we've talked about Lou Gehrig and uh, Muhammad Ali and having CTE. Back to Jim Settlin. Bill Steelers. How about college basketball, Jonah? What's going on with college basketball? Anything you need to talk about there with the big four? I mean, there's games this weekend. UB hosts Army on Saturday. Canisius hosts Holy Cross. St. Bonaventure hosts Gannon, Division II team. Yeah, what's up with St. Bonaventure playing Gannon? And you know, in my research, by the way, what is this? This is uh, the uh, a copy that I made of the 
flip card that you'd use if you were sitting courtside for the Final Four in 1970, St. Bonaventure in Jacksonville, New Mexico versus UCLA. And uh, look and see who was on the schedule for St. Bonaventure the year they go to the Final Four. Baldwin Wallace. Now, what? I mean, what were the... Well, that used to happen more often, and now... Like UB played Nazareth, the Division Three team, to get the maximum number of home games on your schedule, teams often have to play a Division Two or a Division Three. Usually, they don't want to play more than one. So now UB played two division lower division teams a couple of years back. The game before St. Bonaventure played Baldwin Wallace that year, that was Purdue. That was the game in Madison Square Garden that uh, Jim Sadlin was talking about when Bob Lanier had fifty against Purdue, one of the best teams in the country that year with Rick Mount. And then they follow that up with Baldwin Wallace comes rolling in to Olean to play St. Bonaventure. What, do you have 100 against Baldwin Wallace? I'm guessing he didn't play much. <laughs> Took a we have a caller? <laughs> two two in one show? Yeah. Let's Shut see, this thing down. Let's go to Frank in Williamsville. Wait a minute. <laughs> Same guy, man. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> hey, look, i got to give you guys props for your show for one, just to start off. Thanks, with Frank. You call these other shows, and we can hold forever. Then they hang up on you. Then they get in our show, you get you just call him whenever you want. You're our only caller. i got to say this, too, because in the sense of serious side, my voice goes sometimes because I do have Parkinson's, and it's, it's tough to deal with. But um, thank you guys like you to listen to. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's a great show to listen to. Well, thank you, Frank. i got to say this, too, as well. Um, I grew up in Little Three Basketball. I was a gang here. I was like born in 1963. Kellen Murphy was on the team 1970. Picture this: dude averaged 30 points a game. He was five foot eight. No three point line. No dunks. Freshman couldn't play. Okay, it was totally different basketball back then. Kellen Murphy would come up before the game started. He would do this act he did with this uh, a, a baton. Oh yeah, he was a big baton twirler. He'd go up and down the floor twirling a baton, spinning a basketball on his on his, on his uh, finger and stuff. It was like the Harlem Globetrotters. What's manlier than that? What is manlier than that? The guy was unbelievable. I mean, Bonaventure the, 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 uh they would go to the tournament every year, these guys, right? I mean, they were just like, what is it, 30 years ahead of their time, I guess. It's too, it's too bad. It, uh... The little three, and that's a big part of the story that I wrote for The Athletic on the 50th anniversary of the St. Bonaventure Final Four team. I didn't think you could tell that story without explaining what the little three was, and the comparisons that were being made by the people who played in it were... Duke, North Carolina, and that was not hyperbolic. That was what it was at the time because you didn't have big conferences like you do today in college basketball. And keep in mind, and you mentioned Calvin Murphy and Bob Lanier at the same time there, Frank, so two of the five All-Americans in 1970 were from the Little Three. They were from Niagara and St. Bonaventure. And this is with, while UCLA is in the throes of its wooden dynasty, here you have a season with two Buffalo schools uh, or Western New York schools that have that are all Americans and first team all Americans, not just like they made an all American team, right. uh, like Street and Smiths or whatever, or UPI second team. No, this was consensus all Americans. Two of the fifty greatest NBA players of all time, too. That's picture, right. Picture this: I got I got, I got three, three brothers. Okay, we love basketball. And back then there was no there's hardly any TV. These teams were not on television. My dad used to put them on the radio on Saturday afternoon. We listened to the bot to. Uh, uh, the, Griff, uh, the Griffs or the Purple Eagles play, and we would in our kitchen on Overbrook Avenue. <laughs> we would have two potato chip boxes. They used to sell box, uh, potato chips, the big bags, and two bags to a box. Okay, 
and we'd have these boxes hung up on some doorknob or something, right? And we would play knee basketball. So we played two guys, two on two, on two knee basketball, where you you only just crawl on your knees and make, and make shots. It, it wasn't being like football after where we just tackle each other. But those were the days, man. I mean, it's just like it's so different, it, it just in my lifetime. Um, when you when you think about how you know the computers and, and television and ESPN and 500 channels and I mean you know it's just insane. But it was There's so a lot fun. of finger pointing to the death of the little three, and I got into that just a little bit in my story. But so many different reasons for it, and uh, uh, some people uh, point the fingers at the at the priests who ran all three different schools. You're talking about three different uh, Catholic schools, and when it came time for these conferences were being made and pairing off for money. They didn't want to lose their, they made a lot of money as the little three and playing games at the odd and these rivalry games. And then the conferences come around like the big East or whatever and snatch up everybody. And now you had three schools that didn't belong to a conference anymore. And now you're, you needed to belong to a conference to get all that ESPN TV money in the early days or whatever regional networks you were involved with. There's also the belief that, the Riley Center, because it was built um, and it was the grandest of all the different gyms, uh, really put them at a competitive advantage. Canisius with the Kessler Center really never sunk any money into its facility. Um, even though it was considered state-of-the-art at the time, it was more of a student center than it was really. a. a it's a, more like a high school gym. It's not, a, it's not an arena. It's a gym. And then... The uh, Gallagher Center was kind of that middled it. It was yeah. it was nicer than Canisius, but couldn't compete with the Riley Center. And so, when you have do finally have conferences come along and looking for schools, that's how St. Bonaventure can get in the in the Atlantic Ten. And schools like Niagara and Canisius can't get into a bigger conference because they just don't have the facilities. But Frank Layden will tell you Niagara had opportunities to join the Big East. They would have played the games at the Odd, and I think just something to do with. They didn't the want to share the money. Didn't want to share the money. Didn't want to make the investment to be in a bigger league. And I do think the, the little three rivalries at that time were so strong that that was a consideration. Those Niagara and, and maybe Canisius too, I don't know, didn't have the foresight to see where this was going with the conferences. And they thought being independent and maintaining we have our own little conference with just these three schools was more important than being part of the Big East, which nobody knew what that was going to become in the late 70s. Yeah, it's a shame that it had to die. As as Calvin Murphy, the quote, he said it was hell on wheels, those uh, those games in the little three, and that it crushes all those guys to this day, that that's gone. And that the, thing, now, the thing that killed the little, the little three is not dead. They still play games and use the phrase. But the thing that I think killed the little three as a big spectator event was the Buffalo Braves coming in. Like this market yes. always appreciates big-time major league sports more than – smaller college, minor league, so to speak, sports. And then when the Braves left, it really burnt out the market for basketball. And that was combined with the rise of the Big East and being able to see the bigger and better teams on TV every night. People just stopped caring about uh, Little Three basketball, aside from the people in Olean slash Allegheny and how much they love Bonaventure. Yeah. So there you go, Frank. Well, I'd say the only thing that doesn't change is change, right? And you look, look what happened to the Big East, right? And even now with all these conferences, uh, Big Ten's got 12 teams. And, I mean, it's, it's all just money now. And I'm glad I had those memories to look back on. this. Um, yeah, we were just talking to Jim Sadlin and uh, Syracuse <laughs> having uh, Georgetown coming up next on the schedule Saturday night. That game's not even the same anymore. And uh, that was one of the all-time great rivalries, and it's still like they're forcing it nowadays with the, the conference change. Well, 
Frank, you can call in any time. If you want to call in next segment, go right ahead. Just wait and see what we're talking about. If you have a thought, just call in. You're like our fourth uh, member of the show. Fifth member. You're the fifth Beatle. Dude, Merry Christmas to you. I just had my present. Thank you. All right. Take care, Frank. Bye now. Good job, Frank. Frank, Frank bats a thousand. He brings it. Yeah, he doesn't just call in to call in. He's always got a good point or a good story. He's the MVP. Game ball. Game ball to Frank for today. Absolutely. Sorry, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby does not get the ball. Man, closet's getting kind of full. Bobby, you play the drums, right? Yes. So you're the Ringo of this operation. Right, right. Do drummers die more than others? <laughs> I, was just, I was just hearing that in the back of my head. I'd uh, even though it's the Tim Graham show and it's supposed uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's the Tim Graham show brought to you by Shampoo Travis Biso and Kirshner, CPAs and uh, business consultants. Um, I would not want to be the the Ringo or the um the Paul or the uh John. I think I'd want to be I always thought I, George Harrison was my favorite Beatle. Yeah. Because he was so. underrated, but he was super talented. You take a listen to his solo stuff. Yeah. Really good. All the behind the scenes stuff showed that he wasn't as arrogant as the other two, other three, really. Yeah. He just kind of, he was a team, he was just a team guy. Well, so was Ringo, but Ringo was a team guy in the sense that yeah, and he, he lost had, it. He had nowhere else to go. <laughs> exactly. He, can't, <laughs> he was he alarmed for the came back a few times. He was alarmed for the ride. <laughs> All right, we come back. We're going to get more into uh, Bills at Steelers. Uh, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Uh, we got to talk some Sabres. Sure. People are... Did you have that ready to go? Or I have a lot of Beatles in my my archive. Okay. Love Beatles. You're saying, Matt? People weren't uh, at the game last night. I was at the game That's last crazy. night. That's crazy. It was uh, pretty empty out, out there. Were you there, Matt? I was not. It was rather empty. There were a lot of empty I watched seats. on television. Maybe that. Maybe there was too many people doing what I was doing. Have you seen this picture going around? Uh, they've they've dolled up the arena to look like the odd with all yeah. the different yeah, colored seating. Cool. Eh, I like well, it. Well, they're t-shirts. They're t-shirts wrapped over right. the seats. Right. And, uh, yeah, it looks pretty cool. It makes for a good photo. If once everyone are, shows up. Once people are in it, then it doesn't up. matter. Yeah, if nobody shows up, it might be even better. You're right. <laughs> That and much, much more on The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Coming up after this on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Told Tim he's a positive person. You want to hear that? Okay. Whether or not there are words or not. (laughs) Sports Radio 1270. The Doug or not. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bisa and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I'm going to jinx myself by saying that I've nailed that every time today. Would that be a first if you can? If I can do finish the show segment. without messing it up, yes. Well, it's but it's multiple times because I'll say it again before the break and after the break, and then when we sign off, because so it's part of the left. it's part of the Tim Graham Show to now say it's. That's the main sponsor. They're the title sponsor. So every time I say the Tim Graham Show, it's brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bisaw and Kirshner. My heart rate did go up just a little bit right there as I was because I thought it would be perfect for me to to flub it. You just have to take it one read at a time. Yes. I just need to go one and zero on the next read. Don't look ahead to the other. Kind of like Smurfs. Exactly. That's right. Jonah Bronstein covered the Sabres game last night for the Associated Press. 
while John Warrow and I were out gallivanting in Hamburg at the Tommy Stinson show in some dude's living room, which was quite a scene. Yeah, how was that? It was fascinating. I'm, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say I'm not a Tommy Stinson fan because I really respect his music and I've listened to it. I'm just not knowledgeable of it. And, of course, uh, Tommy Stinson is known for uh, being in The Replacements, which is John Warrow's all-time favorite band. Uh, other people might know Tommy Stinson from uh, Guns N' Roses. He was the bassist in Guns N' Roses for a number of years. Learned last night, by the way, that he was fired by Axl Rose in Buffalo at the Hyatt, like in the lobby of the Hyatt. Uh, Axl Rose <laughs> fired him. Uh Probably one of many times, because it strikes me as something Axl Rose would do. Uh, he also was in uh, Soul Asylum, uh, his own solo work. But anyway. Was that a permanent firing by Axl Rose? Or I, did he get back in? I don't, I'm not sure. Was it like you firing Rodak? <laughs> or? That, that was meant to be permanent. <laughs> that was not for show. Because Rodak if it was for show, I would have done it on the air. That's right. But I feel I, like you fired him a couple times. I fired him once. I honest, I legitimately fired him once. He groveled his way back. And he's we, as he, he's we figured it out. He's got a way about him. Rodak. We figured it out. We got to get him on the show. We got to talk about Alabama and the letdown of being in the Citrus Bowl. Oh my lord, the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> I wonder what Michael thinks of all this uh, Patriots videotaping that's going on. Oh, he's probably, he might even I have for- some sources. Got about that. As a as a thing to talk to him about, something I need to mention to you off the air. I shouldn't mention it on the air regarding Mike Rodak and uh, the Spygate scandal. So yeah, Jonah, the concert was so it's in a living room. I John said it was sixty people. I think it was closer to forty, and there are people sitting on the stairs that go up to the second floor, and uh, there are people in the kitchen. The di- or the dining room and the living room were kind of the, the the seating area, and he played right in front of the the main window, and uh, one man show and fantastic uh, musicianship. It was I really had a good time with the scene and just being in a show like that. I don't know how the guy makes money because the tickets were only twenty five bucks. You could pay. I think a hundred dollars for some VIP experience. You show up an hour early and you get you know you have a you, you get drink. You start drinking with him. I guess he clearly it was in the bag towards the end of the show. I had a little trouble with the lyrics, but uh, enough. He's like, he he's like had... the athletic. I don't know how they make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was he having trouble with the lyrics because of the alcohol or because of unruly spectators and flash photography? Oh, see, all right. Well, there was an unruly spectator. Did you hear about the one? No, there was. I... Oh, there was a guy there who was. John? No. Somebody I didn't know, and he was sloppy drunk, and he was shouting things out. Now, if you're shouting things out in an arena show, that's one thing. But when you're shouting things out and you're four feet from the guy's face, you know, play this, play that, thinking he's making a joke or something. He's he's such a super fan that he can make some sort of reference, some obscure reference that's going to impress the guy. Oh, my God. There was an opening act. The guy, I think, wanted to throw him out. Was there Uh, security? No. No security. It was all in the honor system. Did the host of this 
concert sell tickets to whoever wanted them, or was it like a friends and family type thing? No, you ha- you bought the tickets online. It was like a regular show. I bought my ticket online. I went. I thought I was going to not be any available because it's such a small crowd. John was talking about it at the, in the press box before one of the Bills games, maybe three, four weeks ago. And I'm like, I got to check this out. Like this is just going to be a cool thing. And so, yeah, I bought my ticket right then and there. And uh, yeah. It was it was a neat thing, and I guess it's a trendy that's happening. This sh- bands are doing this. John went to another one of these in a basement. I in think Cleveland. I think he's been to three of them. So not all the same act, but yeah, um, he's been going to these. I think I want to do this too. It was it was nice. It was like set up like you go to somebody's house party. There was a, in the kitchen table. There were chips and cookies and you know assorted nuts and. Because Tommy Stinson's a big bourbon drinker, a lot of people brought a bottle of bourbon in case he want like they were trying to get him some small batch stuff. And so what he did is like, I can't take all this home with me. So we've all sat around and drank bourbon and watched Sounds the like rock, a Tupperware party. Watched a rock star. The guy's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame one day because the replacements are one of those influential acts. At some point, they'll get in as a as a group, and uh, he'll be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He sold some albums that were short print and he signed them. And so, but it still wasn't to me, didn't seem to be enough to make your money or to make it worth your while to come to Buffalo and play in somebody. I don't know how it works. It was fascinating. But uh, yeah, so I will fall on my sword. Yeah, so I'm taking pick John. This is one of John Warrow's rock heroes. And so I'm sitting in a way that I can take a picture of John watching Tommy Stinson from just a few feet away. And I'm taking picture after picture after picture. And then for some reason, I must have accidentally triggered the flash. And I took a picture, and the flash goes off. And Tommy Stinson, like, gets knocked back on his heels and can't finish the song because of this flash. He forgot the last verse. But, you know, if it wasn't that, it was going to be some other trigger (laughs) that made him forget. Because that's about when he started to fall apart a little bit. It was towards the end of the night. But, yeah, I ruined the show. With my flash photography. What can you do? Nothing you can do after once it's over. So Jonah Bronstein's at the Sabres game last night because John Warrow was uh, at this rock show. And uh, 5-2 Sabres. Now, a couple empty net goals, so it's not like it was a blowout 5-2, but still, 5-2. What did you uh, learn about the Sabres last night? I learned Jack Eichel's pretty good, even though he wasn't one of the three stars. Two goals, including the winner. He wasn't one of the three stars. Nope, three stars: Linus Allmark, Johan Larson, Sam Reinhardt. Are those each, each of those guys had a goal and assist? But Eichel had two goals. Who picks those? Not me. It used to be when I covered the team, they would get a different member of the media every night, and they but it was a core group of people who were there all the time. And I was the beat writer for the Buffalo News. Uh, Wayne Redshaw was there. He's a Canadian journalist who was there at every game. I think maybe John Warrow or uh, I'm trying to think Paul Hamilton, of course. And this, so there was a group of maybe six of us and it would rotate among us. And I made the picks one night and it's kind of a chore to do because you have to do it while you're finishing up your story. You got to file and then, you know, and you're you got to get them the three stars so they can make the announcement as the players are coming off the ice. I got to run for the locker room and stuff. So I fill out the three stars. It was a Sabres loss, I recall. And so I had two stars were from the other team and one Sabre. And I'm in the elevator getting ready to go down, and I hear them announcing over the PA system it was three Sabres. 
I was like, they just lost the game. They changed my picks. And they were kind of like, that was their right to do so, I guess. And so, but they do say, as chosen by the Buffalo News is Tim. And after I said, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I'm not doing, I'm not going to pick the three stars anymore. Not to pout, but I'm like, I don't, if you're just going to change, if you're going to be so arbitrary, if it's not a legitimate thing, then why even do it? Mm-hmm. It's just a way to get the crowd to cheer, I guess. But anyways. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. You want to know who the three stars, read my story. First three names I mentioned, those will be the three stars. <laughs> what Jack Eichel was the first name mentioned. 14-game point streak, longest in the NHL. 25 points during that stretch. I think he's scored or assisted 25 of 47 goals in those 14 games. He's Seems having a like hell of a year. high percentage. Did you work the locker room after the game? I'm sorry, the dressing room? A little bit. I, I was mostly in the Blues locker room. I had to get some of those quotes and... It wasn't really anybody else. I oh, could that's rely right. On for Big that. Ryan but O'Reilly I did get revenge over, game. I did get over to the Sabres room in time to hear Eichel talk. Why? Why did you have to emphasize the Blues in this story? I didn't, but I needed quotes from the Blue side, and when it's just kind of part of the AP job, I couldn't really count on any of the other writers that would be there late getting those quotes. So I had to go over there and get what I needed. And there's a lot of other Buffalo writers that I can get. Sabres quotes from right. That's true. You have connections there. It's a good good strategy. What did Ryan O'Reilly have to say after the game? He didn't speak. <gasps> Only the two guys that scored the goals and the goalie because spoke. he was busted up about the loss. No, he didn't I have mean a very good game either. The way it works, especially when a team loses, is you get that locker room opens up and the PR person tells you who's talking. They pick their three people, and I suppose if you're the traveling beat writer from St. Louis and you really need somebody, or if I did request Ryan O'Reilly, I'm sure. They might have accommodated that, but if you don't, they got they're pretty much out of that locker room by the time you get in there and they got three players that they've chosen to speak to the media and that's just kinda how it goes. I had no questions for Ryan O'Reilly. He as good as Jack Eichel played, Ryan O'Reilly beat him on most of the face offs, so good game, Ryan. <laughs> he stunk. Not a good game for him. Do we get a sense that the Sabres are figuring things out? It's the first time they've won two in a row since that 8-1-1 stretch to start the year. And I do recall at that time when they did lose to end that 8-1-1 stretch, they did say, we don't lose two in a row. And then however many, they, and they lost four in a row or whatever it was. That's a thing around here. We don't lose two in a row. They clearly don't win, win two in a row either. I think they could really use Rasmus Dahlin coming back and not looking like he did before he got the concussion because he was a mess at the start of the year so if he comes back and looks better than he did at the beginning of the year then I'll start to buy into these guys as a possible playoff contender how about Kyle Poso coming back from his concussion looking stronger looked yeah. better than before his concussion I can't explain that some would say refreshed hmm all right. When we come back, we're going to talk to Joel Staniszewski. He's going to be on the line from Vegas on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Joel Staniszewski's been delivering the goods, as the kids say. We're going to talk to him about this Bills at Steelers matchup Sunday night. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I can't stop I'll never get up now. When a piece of 
Sam Show. Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Do you think I have to go out like uh, Ted Williams and say the full CTBK lineup? It's not like when he was going to bat 400 and the manager wanted to bench him yeah, he went for a doubleheader. And... I mean, you, can I just you say make C- a point can to I, name them all. Can I say CTBK Probably for the rest of the show? Probably more often than you need to. Haven't they told you, you they that, actually, yeah. that's their branding? Yeah, they're... They're okay with CTBK. Well, I feel like at the end of the show, I'll give it a, I'll give it the full treatment just so I can sprint through the finish line. And yeah, say because I did getting it. through CTBK is not nearly as impressive right. as getting through all those names. Right. But you went one and zero on that read. I did. Now I just have to go one and zero on the last one, close it out. Let's uh, let's see what's happening on the N Triple C Thunderwolves hotline. From Buffalo to Las Vegas. The Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city as a well. It's more like a royal flush. Joel Staniszewski on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Joel, you've been on fire. You are, I don't know, are you, where are you getting these uh, impulses from? Are you channeling anything? Is this ESP? What's going on? Uh, I guess it is, yeah. I, uh, last week when you were uh, absent, you, you were no call, no show. Uh, <laughs> I said, I don't have any bets. I said, I didn't like anything. <laughs> and then I said, if you if you put a gun to my head and made me bet, and I picked two bets, I was like the Bills and like Jacksonville, both of which lost and didn't cover. So I didn't bet that. Um, but I did uh, this past weekend make a nice little chunk of change betting in running uh, Ohio State when they were losing twenty one to seven to Wisconsin. I bet them a plus a dollar thirty, and then they came out and just destroyed them for the rest of the game. So I had a good uh, college weekend, even though I don't normally play college football. But I just had a I had a feeling about that one, so I, uh, I I went with it. Damn the timing for Matthew Fairburn and me. Uh, we'll be in Pennsylvania, home of uh, legal mobile betting, but only one college game on the docket Saturday. Uh, we'll be down there for the Steelers game, obviously. Army Navy, it's a big one. But uh, other than that, I think we're going to be stuck with college hoops Saturday night. Well, we will night. be free in the afternoon on Sunday. On Sunday, yeah, we will have Before time. The, uh, yeah, so okay. So, so we have maybe yeah, if we prefer our college. Theoretically, if there's a bet or two or a game or two that you want to share with us, uh, Joel, we'd be happy. We'd be uh, willing to listen uh, right. regarding non-Bills games. But let's get into this Steelers matchup. And uh, that game... Uh, is uh, Pittsburgh is what, a two-point favorite in this game? Yeah, uh, it opened at one, 
which to me is the right number, right at, right at one. Uh, you could even go a pick and then just lay some extra juice on Pittsburgh. Uh, but it's been bet up to two, two and a, there's a couple two and a halves out there, which I think is too high. Um, Pittsburgh is a good team, don't get me wrong. Um, they're playing really well. They have a great defense. Uh, Buffalo has not done well in Pittsburgh in their recent history, or I guess their history of playing in Pittsburgh. Uh, but we're looking at, at, at two totally different teams. Uh, from what we're used to seeing with Pittsburgh and with Buffalo. Uh, Pittsburgh, you used to, you've been seeing Ben Roethlisberger for the last 15 years uh, play the Bills and beat them probably more times than not. Uh, Pittsburgh, people are, are really high on this uh, Duck Hodges guy. Uh, and to, to be honest, he hasn't shown me much of anything. Uh, he put up, they put up 16 points last week on offense against the worst defense in the league. He put up 150 passing yards against the worst defense in the league. Uh, previous to that, he put up 118 passing yards against the second worst defense in Cincinnati. Uh, they played well against the Browns and beat them, uh, who the Bills lost to, which I guess that would be a common thought as to what the line and how they, they put it up there. But, um, you know, this guy is only he's beaten Cleveland, who's a middle-of-the-pack defense, and then Cincinnati and Arizona, who are the two worst defenses. And if it wasn't for a, a whatever it was, a pick six or a blocked kick return for a touchdown, whatever it was, I can't remember right off the top of my head. Um, that game was was neck and neck, and in that same time frame, Buffalo is is what twelve yards away from tying it up against what the fifth or sixth best defense in the league. So uh, I don't see anything that they can do offensively that we can't stop. Uh, so I think a lot of it comes down to the Bills' offense being able to control the football, not turning it over. Pittsburgh is is really big uh, on taking away the ball, so if the Bills can hang on to the ball. I think that that one and a half, two, two and a half that we're seeing out there is 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 a bad number. I bet I bet the Bills right away uh, as soon as the money line came out, which I believe at the time was like plus one ten. Now you can get it at plus fifteen. So um, I I just think that the line move. A little bit towards Pittsburgh is solely because of the Duck Hodges phenomenon that's going on right now because he won three games against three bad teams. Um, and But people say that exact up, same thing for Buffalo and say it in a negative way. Oh, the Bills can't beat a good team. All they do is beat bad teams. Well, all Duck Hodges has done is beat bad teams. The Steelers still um, are one of those reputation franchises that unless, unless they're going through something uh, – uh, terrible you know like they're uh, just totally on the rocks then people are still have this feeling of this this team wins Lombardi trophies this team has uh, uh, stability and all the great things that people say about the Steelers as an organization that does factor into the thinking when you put your money down absolutely absolutely which I think is is correct I mean when you put them a line you have to do it in a way that you're going to get uh, roughly an equal amount of bets on both sides books don't want to have a huge side where they are rooting for a team they just want it to be even they want to take their their big and just and just churn away um so i i see why the line is the way that it is i just don't i just don't think it's a, a good number i think the bills are are going to win this game outright the bills have if they if the bills lose the next three games they still have a 50 percent chance of making the playoffs. if they win they're in so it's a really big game for them uh, next week against New England, they're going to be probably a seven-point dog. 
Uh, you don't want to wait till week 17 to a must-win situation against the Jets to make the playoffs. So I think they really are going to be hammering home um, winning this game and, and playing mistake-free football, which we've, we've seen them play really well. The offensive line really struggled against uh, Baltimore bringing pressure. So let's hope that this past week they've really focused on, on shoring up those, those mistakes and, and working on, I don't know if they got to bring an extra offensive lineman in or what they have to do to, to, to slow the pass rush down. But I think that there's nothing that Pittsburgh can do offensively that I think that, we, that the Buffalo Bills can't stop. What do you think about this over-under? It's, I'm looking at 36.5, which is easily the lowest in the league this week, but almost still feels high for this game. Yes. Um, as I've said many times in the past, I'm not really a big totals better. Uh, when you have two really good defenses that can take the ball away, you know, a quick pick six or a, a, you know, a safety or anything like that, is going to completely turn the tide of the, the total. Uh, it is by far, like you said, the lowest number out there. Um, and it still seems a bit high for those two teams. I could very easily see it being a, a 10-6 game or, or, anything, or something in that range. Uh, but when Buffalo gets moving, uh, whether, like we've seen against Dallas and a couple other teams, like they're, they can't be stopped. Um, so they can, like I said, if they can shore up those those issues they had along the offensive line when when Josh Allen was dropping back to pass, I think uh, they can they can move the ball against anybody. Baltimore and Pittsburgh's defense are probably whatever you would five and six in the league when it comes to yards allowed. Uh, Pittsburgh is not as good when it comes to points allowed. So they're so I think we beat we we lost last week to to Baltimore, but we played a better defense. Then we're playing this week in Pittsburgh with a far inferior offense than we played against last week. From uh, a betting standpoint, if you're contemplating what to do, uh, you mentioned, uh, I already know your feelings on Duck Hodges and the Steelers' offense, but they are getting James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster back. How does that affect your thinking? Uh, the running game, more than the passing game. Our, our passing defense is great it, with... with um, uh, why is my, my, my mind drawing a blank Tredavious right now? With, White. Uh, Tredavious White, thank you. Uh, he can cover anybody in the league. Uh, so if he follows him or stays with him, I'm okay with that. Uh, we've had some issues covering the tight end, which we saw last week, uh, and some blown coverages on that really long touchdown pass. But uh, we're, we were, in my opinion, a mistake or two away from beating Baltimore and Pittsburgh was a lucky break away from losing last week. So I think if, if we can clean up our, our game and play like we did against uh, Dallas, I think there's, there's no way that, that we can't win this week. How are you in terms of uh, just making the playoffs? I know from a analytic standpoint, you're a numbers guy. Like you say, they can lose all three of these remaining games, still have a 50% chance of making it, so that's good, but... You are a uh, bruised and scarred Bills fan, so where's your uh, where's your optimism? Yeah, that's that's why I think this game is so important. Uh, you, you know, everybody is going to assume we're going to lose next week against New England, and New England isn't the team that has beat us. Well, what do you think every, of that, Joel? Every time, yeah, because New England's uh, offense looks pretty poor lately. Yes, uh, again, just like when we played New England, uh, Josh Allen was playing probably his worst game of the year 
and we are one blocked punt away from winning that game. So I think that that game is very winnable. I, I think so. I think that number is going to be six and a half, seven. Uh, it might close maybe closer to six, depending upon what each team does this week. Uh, but I can't. I don't want the Bills. They're gonna. The, the thought is they're gonna lose to New England. Whoever you could look at every uh, analyst and every you know forecasting site, they're gonna tell you that that the Bills are gonna lose to New England. And so if we lose to Pittsburgh and lose to New England, then we're in a must-win game against the Jets. And you don't want to be in a must-win game in Week 17 against a division rival. Uh, so I think that this game is is super important for Buffalo. I'm sure that they're really hammering that home. I know it's one game at a time. You focus on your current opponent. But it's got to be in everyone's mind that if they don't win this game and don't win against New England like they haven't for the last 15, 20 years, other than once that I can think of, uh, you know, you're getting down to Week 17 in a must-win game to make the playoffs. And we saw that a couple or two years ago. Uh, and that was great, you know, getting into the playoffs again, breaking the drought was great. But we don't want to be in week 17 in the locker room uh, watching the end of another game to see if we're going to sneak into the playoffs. We want to just hammer it home, uh, win this game, and it's going to put us in a much better position, I think, uh, to be playing uh, Houston in the first round versus uh, Kansas City. What do you think of their chances in a first-round playoff game? Do you think they're going to be, from a betting standpoint – I'm assuming they're going to be underdogs playing on the road, but I'm thinking a Houston-Tennessee matchup, they might be a, a savvy bet in the first round. Or, yeah, or what about Tennessee where they've already won? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Houston and Tennessee play each other twice in the, la- in the last three weeks, which will determine the um, who wins that division. So you would think that Houston is going to, is going to win the division. They have a game advantage at the time, uh, at this time. Uh, but yeah, if we could if, we, if that flips and we could play Tennessee in the first round. I'm I'm even more excited. Um, I, I wouldn't want to play in Kansas City week one or week one of the playoffs. But um, I think the Bills can can hang with anybody. We've seen them play against Baltimore, and everyone's saying that Baltimore is the best team in the league now. Uh, everyone's saying that Lamar Jackson is a Super Bowl MVP or a uh, league MVP. He's the he's the fav- odds-on favorite to win MVP of the league. And I think we played really well against him. I think we we shut him down. He didn't have a game like like he's had in the past. Uh, we we held them to whatever it was twenty four points, one of which was uh, fum- a, a missed block and a, a sack fumble, which gave them the ball on the ten yard line. So I think uh, the Buffalo Bills can hang with anybody. So I'm not I'm not so concerned with who they're going to play in the first round. I'm more concerned with just getting there right now as a Bills fan. We've We've watched them fall apart many times in the past. So I think, like I said, this game is super important for them to even get into the mindset of who we want to play in the first round, who we can beat on the road, uh, and just and just focus on this game. Joel, did the Bills cover against the Ravens? No. And you thought that line was a little too high, right? Yep. The Bills are at home? Yeah. They, yeah. They, like I said, they were 12 yards away from tying it up. But, again, that's not, you know, and that sack fumble on the 10th. You got to take all of those things into account. Yes, they didn't cover that game. That's plain and simple. But without that sack fumble, we're in a totally different game. And the Steelers, without that uh, pick six, completely different game. So when you factor all those things into it, um, you know, I, I think that the, the Bills should it should be more like a pick for this game. 
but I see where the line is, where it is, because of who the teams are and, and their history of winning. But I, I think that the, the Bills are, are, a, are a big, almost lock. I wouldn't say they're a lock, but I, the second that line came out, I bet it because I was that confident in it. Are we in a situation here, and we only have really one minute here, Joel, but I'd like to get your thought on this. As you mentioned, uh, the Bills have proven that they can hang with anybody. Are we in a situation where if the Bills are getting points, you take it, r- yeah. regardless, of the appoint- regardless of the opponent? Um, in the situation that they're in right now, and a must-win to make the playoffs, knowing that the coaching staff, I mean, if, if the Pittsburgh Steelers don't win and they don't make the playoffs, they're, the coaching staff isn't in trouble. The, the, the fans aren't going to turn on Duck Hodges, but the Bills don't make it. Now, all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, McDermott, who was, who was uh, you know, talk, they're being talked about as coach of the year. If they lose the next three and don't make the playoffs, now he's on the hot seat again. So I think all those things go into the, into the coaches and players' minds about, about this game and how important this game really is. Joel Staniszewski. Always great to hear your thoughts, Joel, and uh, very nice of you to join us again on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Yes? You still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. You zoned out on me there for a second. Maybe we zoned out on each other. All right. uh, Matthew Fairburn and I will await your uh, top secret uh, picks for uh, Sunday. You just talking about NFL, or you're talking about college basketball too? Are we talking basketball? We'll take. We're take we're going to take whatever we can get. We can get. We'll take. We we're, have, talking, we're talking just degenerates. We just yeah. We have 48 hours in uh, in a state that allows mobile wagering, so we'll take whatever right. you want to send our whatever you want to send your uh, our way. All right, sounds good. Joel Staniszewski on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. My thanks to Jim Sadlin. Syracuse basketball analyst. You can hear his uh, words on the Syracuse Orange when they play Georgetown at Capital One Arena on Saturday right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan, which is the home of Syracuse basketball. My thanks to Mark Caboli, Steelers reporter for The Athletic. As always, Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein here in studio, producer Bobby Rosati. And uh, thanks uh, for listening to the show. We will see you again next Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. on The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Beeson and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. I might be having, I might be having.